Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness and current events all through the lens of faith. Welcome back to another episode of Science Radio. My name's Jesse. I'll be your host today, and I am super blessed to be joined by none other than our editor-in-chief, Jared Stackelroth. Hello, Jared. Hello, Jesse. And that's not all. We are also joined today by the director of Mums at the Table, Melody Tan. Hello, Melody. Hello. Okay, so for those of us who are not in the know, could you tell us a little bit about what the ministry is? So Mums at the Table is an online community that provides parenting information. That is the village that it takes to raise a mum. But not only that, not only is it an online community, we partner with churches to create offline communities. By that we mean it's a place where local community mums can get together to support each other in their motherhood journey. And I know from the feedback that I see here in the office that it's immensely helpful, but I I do admit that there's a part of it that's mysterious to me because I feel like I can't be part of it. No, it is not. Actually, all these groups, men are very welcome. Probably if you have a child, that would be a bit better. But yes, so we've got play groups, we've got walking groups, we've got kid-free dessert nights. Depending on the group, whatever you, whatever the organizers do that dictates the kind of activities that happen. They always say it takes a village to raise a child, but really with motherhood and not having any manual that comes with it. And with where we are now, we are all so isolated. And so it is, you really need that kind of support from other mums who know what's happening. So the reason I brought the two of you here today is because, Jared, you wrote an article for us quite a while ago, and it appears in the June issue of Size of the Times magazine. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the article and why you wrote it? Yeah, so it's an article about protecting your marriage. So Melody's here with, and she's told us about the work she's doing with helping mums raise their kids. With your kids and with your spouse, those are some of the most important relationships in your life. And there's a big investment that goes into those relationships. I guess the concept behind the article, it was one year, a few years ago during marriage week, I wrote it for a different publication, but we've a adapted it and updated it for signs. We buy insurance for important, expensive things in our lives, but we don't invest in our married relationships sometimes. We just assume that they'll happen, that they'll be safe and protected and that it'll just magically work. We, through our church, did a number of years ago some couples retreat weekend type things and we learned about marriage and we did you know, invest in that relationship. And to the people that were like, oh, $350 is a bit of an investment, like to go away to a nice hotel, get your food catered and stuff for the weekend, get the program that was run. That's a bit pricey. But our pastor would say, yeah, but you get your car serviced every year and that costs you $350. What kind of investment are you putting into the most important relationship in your life that if it doesn't work out, it can have huge ramifications. There's a lot of fallout and marriages don't always work out. And so to make sure that we're investing in that relationship in our life is a really important place to start. So I guess I approach the article with that framework in mind. Hey, how can I, and it was for myself just as much as for those who were reading it, what things can I start thinking about that I can put into place that protect my marriage. It was probably around that time that we were doing reading through a book called Boundaries as well, Dr. Townsend and Cloud. It's all about boundaries in your life as well. And so I guess I put those two ideas together. Are there boundaries we need in our relationships to make them successful? The answer is we all need boundaries in our life. An unbounded life is a very chaotic and messy. If we didn't have stoplights on the roads, we'd have a lot of accidents. So there's some necessary boundaries that need to be in place in life. Do we need some in our family relationships? I can't help but think about my own relationship. And there's a level of complacency that I know I've fallen into at times where if my marriage is in complete tatters, my wife's packed the bag and she's heading out the door, then I tend to often think, oh, everything must be great. 
Any reflections on that melody or what Jared has just shared with us? I was just thinking it was interesting when when you first pitched the idea of talking about this topic and talking about boundaries in marriages. It was the first thing that came into my mind was the fact that, hey, why are we talking about boundaries in marriages? Like, my husband and I don't really have that kind of boundaries. It sounds weird, but it's like a free-for-all open book between the two of us. But then reading the article, it then just made me realize and reminded me of the fact that when you're married, when you get married, you become one unit. And so the boundaries that you have is not between each other, but it's the boundaries that you have as one unit with the rest of the world, so to speak. I think that's important because like the way I understand the creation narrative in the Bible, God created man and woman, they were naked. The Bible points out that detail. It's an odd sort of detail to specify. And reflecting on it, it's like they were naked. They were transparent. With each other, there was intimacy. There was safety. You can't be naked with someone you're not really intimate or close with. That, that, that There's that. And so the whole story of the Bible starts in this place where this couple is one, like Melody said, and they're transparent with each other. There isn't necessarily boundaries between them. They're not building walls between them but around themselves to protect that unit, that that family oneness, sometimes there has to be boundaries in that space. Because I really think communication and transparency lead to intimacy. I do think that being open with each other is a really important part of marriage, not to hide secrets from each other or to have separate lives that never connect. But having said that, what I'm, I guess, reflecting on is how do we make sure that those boundaries are protecting ourselves and our family unit. Yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't realize it before, but now that I'm thinking about it, it makes total sense. The first relationship that is broken down in the Bible is the relationship between God and Eve. And then the very next one is Eve and Adam who blame each other and they throw each other under the bus and the relationship is broken and yeah, we see sin come into the world. One of the other threads that I just wanted to pull on very quickly here is the thread of children. Jared, you wrote this a couple of years ago when you weren't a parent. Now you are a parent of two children. Melody, you're a parent as well. How has your conception of boundaries changed as you have become a parent or has it at all? And this is for either of you. I'm not sure if it's a boundary kind of thing, but I feel as a parent, my husband and I actually have to be on the same page a lot more because I'm not saying that the kid does it in a malicious way, but they will pitch you against each other. <laughs> it's also for the good of the kid because if you're trying to discipline a child and you're trying to provide boundaries for the child, you need to be on the same page to have the same boundaries, to have the same guidelines in order for the kid to understand, yes, this is the way to go. And no, this is not the way to go. Because if both of you are talking about different things, what is the kid meant to know which is the right way? The other thing that's come home to me as a parent really strongly is boundaries to protect the oneness with my wife. Because the kids can eat into that time like, like nothing else. Like you think, okay, I'm prioritizing my family. So you're on the go, you're looking after the kids, you're trying to spend quality time with them. You might have work, church, you've got other obligations. So you've got to fulfill this time. And I've found the most, the, the relationship that suffers the most is that with my wife, because I'm not necessarily, when it was just the two of us kicking around doing our thing, like that was the significant relationship in our life. Now, as a parent, your sort of drive is to put yourself on hold to try and help your kids, to try and raise them. And yet you're not putting healthy boundaries. Sometimes it's your own self-care that suffers. <laughs> yep, put on a lot of weight since having kids. To go to the gym, to do things for myself is not a priority for me because I want to be there and I want to help my wife and give her a break. But again, I'm taking the kids because when she's at home at the moment, she's still on maternity leave with our second child. So I'm going to work. She's like, you get a break every day. You get to go to work. 
not that stressful at all. But I come home and she's been holding this kid who won't go down. He's clingy. He's been feeding all day. So I need to then jump in and I'm helping her. I'm trying to give her that break. But my connection then is with me and my child. I'm now spending quality time, spending my energy on my child. By the time we fall into bed at night, we're exhausted. And there's no time for each other. Date nights and going away for the weekend and travel. What is that? <laughs> like in this season of our lives, it's really hard to find that And space. even if you have date nights, you're actually talking about the kid, not about each other. It's almost, and this is not a perfect analogy, but like your basketball players or your football players and you're taking turns being out on the field and then, you know, you have an injury, you tear a ligament or something and it's okay, I want to sub you back in, I need a rest. But yet at the same time though, this is when you actually appreciate your partner a lot more because then you realise what they're actually trying to do because... This is exactly what happened. So it's Saturday morning and that's when my husband would wake up, go to our son and shut the bedroom door behind him and let me sleep in for as much as I'm able to while he entertains the kid. And yes, we may not be having that kind of quality time together, but that's when you realize he's doing his best in trying to preserve my well-being. And the only reason why he does it is because he loves me. It takes away from the quality time, but then it brings back to what Jared wrote in the article as well, is where you focus on the positive side of what your spouse is actually trying to do, and then you appreciate them a lot more. Let's bring it back to the article for a moment. Jared, one of the things you do touch on in the article is the idea of the heart and how in an ancient Jewish context, it's perceived as being the center of all being, thought, emotion, all that sort of stuff. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I think in many arenas of our lives, we have separated things out to the nth degree. We have a day for church. We have a day for work. We have family stuff. And then at work, sometimes we're a different person. Our families wouldn't recognize. We might be highly competent and getting things done. And then at home, we're just different. So I understand why we do that because it's a lot easier to understand something in a box. It's a lot easier to contain and to find meaning if we package something up neatly. But I think this conception that I'm talking about is a much more, there's less distinct, and we're talking about boundaries and barriers, there's less distinct barriers between the different segments of you and your body. I will say we reflected a little bit on where our thoughts might have changed and such. In the time since writing this, I reread this and I, I do believe we do have to inform our emotions, which is what I'm talking about, protecting your heart in terms of don't just let your feelings, your lovey-doveyness feelings for your spouse inform how that relationship's going. Because you hear a lot of people say, I've fallen out of love with my partner. I don't love them anymore. Maybe your love has evolved. It's ready for a separate um, season in its time. I'm pulling back a little bit from a don't listen to your emotions, inform your emotions, because I've been learning a lot and I'm no expert by any means, but about the body and the feeling in your body, the stuff that's contained within and the way that certain scenarios, certain triggers bring that out in you. And if you don't listen to your emotions, if you don't listen to your body, you can miss a lot of red flags. You can be in toxic relationships without finding that as something that's not normal because it's what you've known and you're not listening to your body. You're saying, no, I'm just going to inform my emotions. So I would say there's a balance there to be had. We do have to be in control of our heart and put boundaries around our heart, but also to listen to our body, which is the heart in this sense, in some ways, this is what they understood it to be. That spiritual place, that, that, that physical space in how we, how am I feeling about this person? What is happening? And so it's an interplay between controlling your emotions and informing, hey, I don't feel like loving this person today, but I do love this person. I need to. It's like Melody was reflecting on, I see what they do. And so I appreciate them more. That's a conscious decision because you could just see what they're doing, but 
listen to other influences in your life and be negative about those things. So I think there's a balance there to be had, but I think we need to not just go on infatuation or feelings. We need to actually make a choice. Marriage, marriage to me is a choice every day. I choose to stay with this person. I choose to love this person, whatever's happening. One of the statistics that I saw in this article, and it's probably in a different section, but John Gottman is a world-renowned relationships guru. And he was saying 69% of problems in a marriage are unsolvable. That blew me away. What it means though, is not that you can't compromise, you can't work through it with someone, you can't fix it. It means you may never agree on that thing, but that's okay. I'm still reeling from the fact that problems 69% are unsolvable. (laughs) It's a big number. It is a big number. But then at the same time, just in thinking about what you were talking about the fact that, you know, the heart and we need to protect it and we need to look into how we feel. At the same time, how we feel is also affected and influenced by how the other person behaves. And so I guess it goes into another part of what you were talking about. You need to have something in common. And so I think it's really important that you need to talk things through. How your partner behaves, they may have no idea whatsoever that they're actually annoying and irritating you, of which I have found that out firsthand (laughs) several times. When my husband will look at me bewilderedly and say, I really don't know why you're so upset. And usually it's when he says that it snaps out, snaps me out of this whatever cold shoulder that I'm giving him because I'm going around with my righteous indignation thinking that he has deliberately irked me and so I'm ignoring him because he's being an awful person. And then he comes over and tells me, I don't know what's going on. And then when I tell him what's going on, that's when we actually have a really decent conversation and come out all the better for it. Yeah, I think there's sometimes a tendency in relationships for one partner to think that the other partner is doing it on purpose just because they want to. I think there's a lot of assumptions in relationships in general, right? We like to take a lot of things personally, not just with the partners, even with the kid. Even with a child, we're saying that they're pushing our buttons, they're doing this deliberately, but sometimes a child's just being a child. Even with people outside of our special relationships, that anyone on the street is going through things and doing actions in whatever way, for whatever reason, and often we take offence or personal offence to something that they're doing that they have no idea. That's where communication comes back because... What I struggle with sometimes is when my wife isn't willing to have that conversation, like, why are you so upset with me? I'll, I'll, I'm the one that goes to a lot and she's the one that like does the cold shoulder thing a lot. And so it's, I'll go to her and I want to fix this. Tell me how I can, what is happening? And she'll be like, I don't know, just, I don't want to talk about it or whatever. And that can be quite difficult to cope with. Where this protection comes in then is the tendency for some people is to then seek sources of comfort or whatever else outside of their relationships. So they're going and having emotional affairs before they ever have an affair. And so it can be quite damaging to relationships to instead of talking to your spouse about this particular issue that you're having, you go talk to your work colleagues or your friends. Friends can be good because they can help you carry the burden, but they can also talk badly about this person and reinforce the lies that you might believe about. They don't know what they've done, but other people have had bad experiences with their partners. And so they project onto you how they're feeling. And all of a sudden you've got this situation where the problems in your marriage are escalating because you're not actually dealing with it with each other. You're dealing with it with other people and that can tear you apart. That It's another part of that protecting your relationship. It's not that you can never talk to anyone else about what's going on. There's problems or I need outside help. Yeah, sure. Talking to a counsellor is always a good idea. Your pastor or your friends may well be able to help you. If you have godly friends, if you have mentors in your life, they're going to be able to speak life into your marriage and into your relationship. But if you 
take your marriage problems to the wrong places and the wrong people, they can just escalate. So that's something that I've seen and learned myself. It's important when I think of boundaries, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of in our marriages. It's funny because I did highlight that and I agree with you. At the same time, I do know that it is important sometimes for you to be able to step away and talk about your issues with someone else. We've created motherhood groups just for one of that purposes is to so that you can go to someone else to seek that support. But yes, like you said, it is really important that you remember, number one, that whoever you're talking to doesn't get the full picture. They have no idea exactly the nuances of what is happening. And number two, yes, you may talk to someone and it helps you calm down, but ultimately you really need to go back to talk to the person who's causing the problem or who you think is causing the problem, i.e. your partner. Yep. In conflicts, you can't fix the problem sometimes straight away. Someone needs to, we have that advice that we hear all the time, don't go to sleep angry with someone or whatever. Sometimes you have to go to sleep angry and it doesn't feel great, but there has to be a, at some point you have to address that thing. Otherwise it just festers. And when things are festering, that's when problems can happen. But sometimes you need to time out. Sometimes you need to talk to someone else to calm down and step away. So I'm not saying don't ever do any of those things, but I guess it's being intentional about Am I looking to protect my marriage or am I looking to just to feel better about it? And are the people I'm talking to, do they share my values or do they have some experience or expertise or something in that area? Or am I just like venting or looking for validation to be like, oh, I'm having a rant or I'm having a session with, with people and making it worse because then they get indignant on my behalf and then I feel justified and then I get and carry those feelings back into my relationship without then addressing it. And then it just snowballs like it can escalate. So I guess, yeah, taking care of your heart. The basis of the verse that I use for this article is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. So what are those areas? What do they look like? And in the Bible, marriage is often a metaphor for our relationship with God. And so I thought, if that's how we protect our relationship with God, are there any applications for, just to go back to the context that I probably should have gave you at the beginning, those are the f- sort of four areas or parameters. And as we said, they're probably not as broken down, but in Hebrew, those words all have a specific important meaning. It's not just love God with everything. The writer chose those four designations to describe this relationship with God. So I guess that's the breakdown of why we were looking at some of that stuff. There was a very interesting interaction that I listened to in another podcast about this couple who were going through like a difficult situation. And he, the husband, basically said that he's going through a tough time, really doesn't need the wife's input at the moment. He basically asked her to leave him alone. But yet at the same time, he put this caveat in as well. And he said, just love me anyway. And I think that's the important thing is that it's not that you cannot get angry with your partner. It's not that they will not ever frustrate you. But it's knowing that you are having a difficult situation, you're having an argument, but knowing that you love them anyway. And that once all those anger and all those emotions go through, at the end of it, you're still going to love them and yet you're going to work it through and that it will be okay. Yeah, I think a lot of this comes back to what we were talking about earlier when we were saying that marriage is a unit. You can't see each other as the problem. I'm fine. Everything's great with me. It's my wife that's the problem. Or for the wife to say, I've got nothing wrong with me. It's you, husband, that is the issue. Um, We have to see each other as members of the same team. I think a lot of people have bought the idea that marriage is a 50-50 game. And we've heard people present on this and tell us, no, it's a hundred hundred. Like you're two units, but if you both only put in 50 or 50, you might fall short if you're not able to put in the 50. It becomes a comparison game. Whereas if you're focusing on yourself and putting in what you can, and it was interesting, I think I was reading it on social media about this couple, they were reflecting on that idea and they would go, one of the spouses would come home and be like, 
how are you feeling today? I'm only at 20%. All right, I'll put in, I understand you're not doing great. I'm going to put in the rest. And covering for each other, almost helping each other in that situation where you can't put in. And then if you both, hey, we're doing great, you can build from that place. If you're not doing great, one might have to recognize that. Like Melody was saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a bit of, I'm going to love you anyway, but I'm going to give you some time to figure it out for yourself. I think that's a really important sort of principle. The other thing that Melody was saying brought back to my mind was this idea of, I'm not sure the official term for it, but it's like love banking. So in times where you're maybe on a date or you've got some time together, looking at your past, asking each other random questions to get to know each other better, like reflecting on good times that you've had. What tends to happen when we're feeling terrible, and I do this myself, I think about the negative things, but those things sometimes can reinforce themselves. So you get in this loop, I'm feeling bad, we've had a fight. They always do this. I'm remembering all the times where we've had similar conversations in the past. And so to focus too much on those negative things can really make you feel like it's everything is negative and so you've got to reflect and remember some of the good things that helps protect your marriage because you're like remembering all the good times you've had together all the positive times and then when something bad happens you're like yeah but I've been I remember the good things as well alongside that because I've been banking those things we've been reflecting on those things we've been living in those things. We've been enjoying those things in our relationship. And so going forward, it's, oh, it's not as dramatic when something big, bad, hard, challenging happens to our relationship. We've got that. We, it's very present in our minds, the memories of the positive times, the good times, the proper times that we've had, where we've seen each other through, where God's seen us through, like, how are we going? It's something that's very present for us. And so banking that stuff is really helpful and important. One of the other dynamics that I just wanted to touch on, Melody, is the way that having children, becoming a parent, adding new children to your family, and the way that all of that affects how you process these new and sometimes scary changes. Could you speak to that dynamic a little bit? We'll start from the beginning at the where you've just had a newborn. And the problem with that it's not the newborn, it's the lack of sleep that comes with it. And that actually compounds everything because everyone is tired, everything suddenly seems much, much worse. And because of that, there's a lot of disagreements that come through. And from my own personal experience, what I found is that you start withdrawing into your own shell because you're so overwhelmed that you have no idea how to even ask for help. And I think this is probably where the love banking comes in. And hopefully there is something in your relationship from previously in which someone will actually have to rise up to the situation and someone probably being the husband in, in that they will have to realize that the woman isn't coping. And that's when the 80% comes in because really all the mom is only able to give is the 20%. A lot of new moms can also go through postnatal depression. And really, I th it's a partnership, right? A marriage is a partnership. And I know that when a baby is born, a fa both a father and a mother is made at the same time. But the reality is that it does impact. In traditional, in society, more often than not, it's the woman that gets impacted the most because she's the one who basically lacks sleep the most. And I'm not saying that the amount of input isn't great from the father's part, but the lack of sleep from the mother's part actually makes things feel a whole lot worse. And I think this is when your partner needs to stand up, needs to rise up to the situation, not just put in the 80%, but also not take things personally, because this is when women tend to go a little bit unstable. And I'm saying that from my own personal, things, things like I'm getting upset at things that I don't normally get upset at. 
I'm more emotional at that point of time. And that's when my husband had to step in and go, this is not about me. This is about the rest that she needs. And this is about the support that I need to give her. And as the partner, this is when you recognize this is not the person that they are. And potentially this is where you get in professional help as well. Is it important for new mums especially to have existing experienced mums around them at this time or is it more about the dynamic between the mum and her partner? I think new mums need to have more experienced mums on their side at that point of time simply because it is so overwhelming and if we have five overwhelming women together you would just be completely overwhelmed and nothing will get done. Whereas if you have that experienced mom alongside you, that's when you realize she can tell you it's going to be fine. This is what you can do. And this is what has happened to me is because at that point of time, even the littlest thing, the kid is not taking the dummy or the kid is actually loving the dummy. You're actually co-sleeping with your kid. You're not co-sleeping. Everything that seems to not really matter actually matters a lot when you are at that point of time. But if you have a mom who's been there, who's done that, she can relate. And I think we give credibility to people who have been there and done that. And so if someone else has says that I've done that before, this will be fine. You will be okay. Someone who is calm enough to tell you will be okay. It helps a little. But yet at the same time, that doesn't discount where the partner is as well. I think it needs to be in conjunction. You need to have the more experienced moms there to tell you you will be okay. But you need to have the partner there saying, I still love you and I'm here to support you. I guess one of the realities along with that is the fact that those mums that might be helpful in that moment eventually have to go home, whereas, whereas your partner has to go home with you. Yeah, our first child was born in the week that everything shut down from COVID. So we didn't have experienced mums. We didn't have anyone. It was just us. We had to figure it out. <laughs> I think in some ways that was helpful to just have us, but at the same time, like what we wouldn't have given at that point for some support, some of that support that Melody's talking about, because yeah, it's a wild ride, parenthood. <laughs> it's a wild ride for the mother she's gone through excessively sometimes even traumatic difficulties with her body changing and like it's a it's a strenuous to give birth to a child. And then the feeding of the child, remember two weeks or so after we gave birth, I think it was only a couple of weeks after we gave birth, we were back in the hospital with mastitis. And that was scary. We had no one to talk to. We had no idea, is she getting a fever because of her cesarean section? Or is it a, what is happening with the body shakes and the pains and the fevers? Where is this coming from? What's the story? We didn't have anyone close by that we could would lean on in that time. So I think it's 100% true that you need to have each other's back in the really challenging times. You need to be there when it's hard to feed and stuff. And that doesn't necessarily mean staying up with your partner because then you've got two sleep-deprived people. <laughs> Sometimes it's taking that shift, let them sleep in, give them a bottle of express or formula or whatever you can to take that shift, do that work just to support your marriage and your, the person that you love and that you've committed your life to in marriage, you want to help them. You want their best sort of interests to, to shine through. So I've actually just realized something and I'm not sure if this is at all significant to the conversation we're having. So tell me if it is, but I've just realized that all three of us have something in common and that is we are all in a multi-ethnic marriage. I truly believe that every marriage is a multicultural marriage. Because if you come from the same town, your parents are different. The family of origin that you come from is different and has a different culture in that sense. So I think in a way we could marry someone of the same ethnicity or nationality. And often that's seen as a good thing that, oh, your marriage will work. Because you're from the same church, you're from the same background, you're from the same demographic or socioeconomic status, but your families are so different. 
your parents did things way different to the way their parents did. So I think that's why the Bible talks about this principle of leave and cleave, like you're leaving your mother and father and cleaving to your wife. So that's the point of like almost creating a new culture in your family. There are significant cultural differences that are very different and we've got to work through those (laughs) at some point. But I think every marriage... We do marriage a disservice if we think we if we assume it will be easy because they're from the same background. I'm using air quotes. You can't see on the podcast, but if they're from the same background as us, it doesn't just make it automatic. It doesn't just give you success. At the end of the day, I think it is the values that you share that are more important. Values can transcend culture. And so that is where... I think it's more important if your partner might be from a completely different cultural background, but has the same values you do, half the battle's won. One of the things we forget is dreams, like aspirations and dreams. We think, oh, they believe the same or they're from the same church as me. So we've got the same values. It was described to me once this way. If that person's whole life dream is to set up an orphanage in Africa, and your whole life dream is to, I don't know, pastor a local church in, in, in Melbourne or something. Someone's going to have to let go of that, that dream that they have. And that's where sometimes resentment can come in because it's like, that's not, I'm not getting to live my full life. And those are some of the questions you need to ask before perhaps getting married. <laughs> Just to, if there's anyone out there that's not married yet and is what helpful thing can I bring out of this conversation? Those are some really key things because you think, oh, I want to picket fence and th- 2.5 children and what it, some of those are things are really, they're more like dreams. What do I want with my life? And those dreams should be informed by your values. If I am a follower of Jesus, God should come into some form of my decision-making. I should hope to do what God wants to see out of my life, understanding his word and his messages to me. How can I live well? How can I do that? But then what does that look like? For some people, it looks very different. I want to live in a slum and minister to the lowest people. I have a different understanding of what my ministry is calling me to do. And if those things are incompatible, that's a really hard thing to navigate and to negotiate. So make sure your values are the same. Also make sure your dream, your value-based dreams and aspirations are the same for your life. Where is it going to turn out? Where is it going to take me? Because if those things are different, it's very hard. Resentment can breed contempt. Contempt is a killer of marriage. I think John Gottman talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse in your marriage. And I think one of them, the big ones is contempt. That's when you just feel like the other person, you're just like, ugh, like everything they do annoys you. You just have a really, you're looking down in that person. That That is where you've let some of the resentment and some of the, incompatibilities actually bring you apart rather than working through navigating those. So that's the point where your marriage really probably needs some help if you're feeling contemptuous towards your spouse. Can I throw a curveball into this whole thing? Of course. Try. We all change. I'm not the same person today that I was five years ago, even one year ago. And so what happens when one day your spouse wakes up and tells you these dreams that I that we had for our life, I don't have them anymore. The, maybe the instead of the white picket fences, I want to live in a hovel on top of a mountain somewhere and be a hermit. I don't know. What do you do when your spouse changes their mind about what they want in life and from life? I like to think that it isn't an overnight thing where for the past six months you've been working towards this dream and the next morning your partner wakes up and go, hey, I've got a different dream now. But the thing is like with your relationship, right? Ideally, you should always be talking. You should always be growing. And so you will probably get glimmers and get glimpses of the fact that this dream is changing direction way before that announcement is made. It's a difficult one, but I like to think that Because you've already had those conversations, potentially you would both be shifting at the same time and in the same direction, as opposed to in opposite directions. 
It goes back to where we started this conversation in terms of transparency and that intimacy, that communication. I think communication builds that intimacy. So yeah, I don't think it'll be an overnight, hey, I'm changing my mind, I'm out. They talk about things like the seven-year itch or whatever, and Hollywood does this all the time. If you watch any rom-com, you're with a person and you might have known them through college or through school or whatever, and then all of a sudden you meet this other person and they're just so compatible and so amazing and so dreamy. And it's like the encouragement there is follow your dreams, be your best self and all of that. It's not quite true because if that's how you live your life, then after seven years, and unfortunately I may even know some people like this, they've gone into a relationship, that relationship gets to a certain point and then it breaks down. And then they're in another relationship and it gets to a certain point and then it breaks down. And so I guess depending on what you want with your life, like it's very, if you live your life by those principles, chances are high that you may not ever be happy or be compatible with someone because as you change your affection and your love for them changes. That goes back to where I was saying, like it's a choice. You have to make a choice. So I'm informed by a Christian sort of worldview. I believe that marriage is important. It's an important relationship. It's not the only relationship. You can be single and whole in Christ and live a full life. You don't need to get married to be a wonderful person. But if you are married, if you do choose to be married, I think when you don't feel like being married, you're encouraged to try it. Now, that's not going into sort of abuse and issues like that, adultery, abuse, control issues. All right. The church has given bad advice in the past in terms of just stay with that person come hell or high water. And I think we have to acknowledge that's not what I'm trying to say. But if I've made a choice to be married to this person, I've got to find a way to negotiate and move around those things that are changing and evolving. People say, rather than loving a million women in my life, I'm loving the same woman a million different ways. So yes, she changes. Yes, I change. But we keep trying to come back and find where we connect and what things we have in common. And maybe those things change too. But it's a choice that I'm making. It's not just a feeling, again, to go back to somewhere where we started. I think that brings us to the final point, which is to use our strength to do those physical things that bring greater closeness, that bring greater intimacy. What have the two of you found to be useful in this space to be able to use your strength, however that looks, to bring about more closeness, more intimacy, more relational wholeness in your marriage? I've found the love languages somewhat helpful. I think it's Gary Chapman. just about to say that too. Go ahead, Mel. No, I was just about to point out about the five health languages. Uh, I think there's a limit to those because it's only certain. And I think those do change in your life. But understanding where your spouse is at in terms of what do they respond to? How do they need to be loved? It's not a love tank. It's a love bank. Can we fill up the love tank? You need petrol in your car every day or you're going to break down. So... How do I fill up my spouse's love bank? Now, I did a poor job of Mother's Day this year because we were interstate, we were traveling, and I just thought, it's just, it's too hard to do. I'll make a breakfast or something, but it's it's not my house that I'm staying at and I don't have any presents. I haven't had time to get her anything. And it's not been great since Mother's Day in some senses. So the other day I just got online and I bought her some stuff that I knew she wanted. Now that's also hard because she often buys her own stuff that she wants. So her love language, one of them is gifts. Now that is completely foreign to me. Rarely will I get a gift I like. I just don't need it in my life. It's not a, it's not a language that I'm native speaker of gifts, but she is. She needs gifts. She wants gifts. So I don't know things magically cleared up, even though that wasn't the issue. Her love tank was feeling empty. She was depleted. She's tired. She's got the kids. Things are hard at home. So one thing I hadn't been doing was loving her in a way that she wants to be loved. I tell her she's loved. I Physical affection and words of affirmation are my two primary love languages. So I'm telling her she's loved, trying to give her a hug, be close to her, sit with her. She's not feeling it. She's not keen. Why? I haven't been doing her love languages as much as I could be. That, to me, 
yeah, it's a personal anecdote, but it's, I think it's really important to love our spouse how they want and need to be loved. Because those love languages, I feel like they come from a place of maybe even a place of lack, like what you lack or what you need to fuel yourself, because maybe it's not something you got real much as a child, or maybe it's what you did get as a child. So that's how you understand how to feel. It makes your brain feel like, hey, I'm loved in this way. And so that's hard because in my marriage, we've got all separate love languages. (laughs) So it's an intentional thing. Finding the love language, understanding the love language, and then pouring into that love language is it's helping to fill that tank up. But yet at the same time, on the flip side, what I would like to say as well, is the same thing with my husband and I, completely different love languages as well. So he likes to do acts of service and he likes to do different things to make you show that he loves you not my love language. I'm like, why are you doing this? I don't understand. Can you just love me? But then you sit back and realize, hang on a second. He's doing all of this because he's trying to show that he loves you. And so when you try to look at that from that perspective, it doesn't fill your tank as quickly and as easily But it's like, you know, that USB charger where you put your phone on slow charge, it still gets filled up. It just doesn't get filled up as quickly. But you need to recognize, and I think that's the thing, it's about recognizing what our love languages are, what their love languages are, and trying to interpret their actions through what their love languages are as well. And something that complicates all of this, of course, like there's no easy answers, there's no easy formulas because we all have different life experiences. And if there's any trauma, mental health or issues in a relationship, in a person's background, it can make it that much harder. It's not impossible, but you have to be empathetic. You have to understand the other person and what they need. And they may not understand that what you're doing is loving to them because they may not have that ability in the season that they're in or in the past that they've had to process some of that. So we, it's easy to sit in a podcast and say all sorts of things about this, this will help, this won't help. At the end of the day, we're all humans with unique and difficult life experiences. All of us have had some form of different culture, different upbringing, different things going on in the background. And all of that we're bringing to love this other person and to find common ground. It's a miracle (laughs) that it happens. So it is hard work. We have to acknowledge that. But I think if we don't, if we're not willing to put ourselves in the other person's shoes, to acknowledge them, to appreciate them, to think what is happening for them in their side of the conversation, if we're not willing to do that, we are going to have difficulties setting up our marriage to for success because, and it's not that it won't work, but everyone's different, but it makes it harder if we're not willing to step into that other person's shoes. Because at the end of the day, we want to win and we want to win together. If we're in conflict, if there's a winner, usually there's a loser, unless you're on the same team. So in marriage, if you're always having these arguments, if you're always like competing, if you're not doing 100-100, you're gonna, someone's going to lose. And if you lose often enough, you don't want to play the game anymore, right? So there's a lot of complicating factors. It's hard, it's hard for me to sit here and go, here's the formula, fix your marriage. My marriage isn't always wonderful. Like I'm speaking from a place like to myself wrestling with how do I get better at this because it's important to me. And I think that hopefully our listeners have been able to gain something today as well. We're not giving them a formula. Everyone's situation is different, but I think that take-home principle for me is put yourself in their shoes, spend some time trying to empathize and understand, and understanding what's going on in their head is going to help you to be able to come at that marriage with softer feet (laughs) as you're treading around. Sometimes there's eggshells all over the place. You've got to come in sometimes softly and understand what they've been through and where they're coming from so that you can really relate to them on a level that they need to be related to. That's part of the sacrifice of love and marriage. You want to help that person. You want to uplift that person and to see them be the best part of themselves and you to be the best part of yourself. My parents challenged me once with this in terms of relationships. They're like, if you're with a person you should both be made better. 
if one of you makes the other person worse or makes them someone they don't like being or whatever. And so then that was also a challenge to me to be the best I can be for my wife, for my kids, for people outside that see our marriage to not to put on a mask or to be a show to acknowledge, yes, I've got struggles in my marriage, but for that marriage to be successful in terms of lasting, uplifting, we need to be the best versions of ourselves and bring that to marriage, not save the best for the rest of the world, the masks that we wear, and just leave the leftovers for our wife, our kids, and the people that are closest to us. I think what I would like to point out right now as well is we've been talking so much about marriage and how we can, how much effort we need to put in, how much we need to think about the other person. It is also important, I think, to point out that if there is cases, if there are cases of a lack of respect, high amount of control, if there's any instances of abuse, and that could be physical, that could be emotional, that could be on all sorts of different levels, this is a time when you should actually seek professional help. If you've done everything that you can and it's still not working, you need to seek professional help. And that's so important. That could be a, a topic in and of itself. We are, throughout this entire conversation, talking about healthy relationships after all, or at least relationships that are moving toward a place of health. And I think you'll both agree that if there is any sort of abuse or any kind of mistreatment from one spouse toward another, then there's just no way that even a lot of the good advice that we've talked about in this episode will be able to solve those problems. Melody, if people want to find out more about Mums at the Table to connect with a group or just to engage with your content, how can they do that? Mumsatthetable.com website, socials, email would be hello at mumsatthetable.com. Fantastic. And we'll have those in the show notes as well. If you want to read this article in full or you want to find out more about Science of the Times, you can, of course, do that by heading to scienceofthetimes.org.au. You'll be able to engage with this content plus all sorts of other great content that we produce on a range of different topics. And you can also subscribe to the magazine either in print or digitally on our website, signsofthetimes.org.au. But for now, thank you very much for listening. And thank you once again, Jared and Melody, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A print subscription is $28 a year or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. This is an Adventist media podcast.